Get a rare view into the human side of wealth management leaders, innovators, and influencers with the Big Reveal podcast from Suzanne Syracuse in partnership with InvestNet. Tune in and subscribe to find out why she calls it the Big Reveal. One in four women and one in six men are survivors of sexual abuse or assault. That means you or someone you know has survived an external and internal battle for your soul, which most often no one else will ever see unless you tell your story. This is Journey On, Survivors Healing from Sexual Abuse and Assault. My name is DJ Burr and I'm a survivor. I was molested at 16 years old and raped at 18. I didn't know what surviving looked like back then, but I do now. Join me as I talk with survivors and hear their experience, strength, and hope on the road to recovery. Hear our stories and share your own. You are not alone. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Journey On. Today I have with me author Dan Quinnenville, who is the author of The Hardest Story Finally Told, Jesus' Glory Divinely Bold. Dan, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you have the opportunity to be here with us today. Hi, DJ. Thank you so much. It's also a pleasure to be here as well. Thank you for the invitation. You're so welcome. Can you tell our audience where you're from? Yeah, um, I'm from a little community in the center of Ohio, actually between um, Dayton and Cincinnati called Lebanon. It's a historic community that dates back to the late 1700s. Wow, that's definitely historic. How long have you been there? Yes, Uh, I've lived here for about three years now. What kind of spurred me to find this community was um, I was looking for a peaceful community away from home. I had just purchased a business locally here in the Trenton area of Ohio, and um, I needed to find a community that my wife and I both felt like we would fit into. And I uh, happened across Lebanon, and I never never looked back. Fantastic. It's nice when you find a place uh, you can call home. Seattle has been like that for me, so I'm glad that you have that as well. Now, your information came to me from um, your publicist, I believe, and it, the information I received was that your name was Alter Payne. Now, I hear that that's your pen name. Can you tell us more about Alter Payne? Yeah, my pleasure. Um, Actually, because my story was so kind of deep and dark, um, there was a tremendous amount of liability. And as my publisher, Westbow Press, had decided to pick up my story and run with it, um, they were a little bit nervous about, um, you know, some of the, um, I guess, content of the story. And therefore, the liability would have kind of raised. Um, And so what we decided to do was go with a pen name. Um, and the pen name that I chose was Alter Payne, and for very good reason. There, there are a lot of men named Alter out there, and there are some men named Payne as well, though not spelled like I have it, P-A-I-N. And, of course, I spelt it that way for obvious reasons. In my life was more of a movement um, through my Lord God and his son Jesus Christ that would um, – um, kind of caused me to use the term altering pain, if you will, and that became kind of a part of my story. So that's the reason why I decided to use that name. Later on, um, I found out from my attorney that because of most of the people who were in my story um, have actually passed, that the liability is no longer there and that I'm free to use my, my true name. So I use both names. 
Excellent. I actually love Alter Pain. That is a fantastic pen name. Uh, definitely keep it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, it sounds like it def it came from uh, a loving place um, because I imagine, like for all survivors, you have been on a journey, and sometimes that journey is difficult, and we learn a lot about ourselves along the way. But there is definitely pain involved. No question about it, um, DJ. And you know, pain is equal in all directions, right? It 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 takes no prisoners it's it's um you know somebody can come up to me and say my dog died today and they're in so much pain and duress whereas whereas i might have experienced maybe a death of my father um but it doesn't matter pain is pain and we all deal with it differently amen that is definitely the truth so dan i'm curious where does your story start i i, I imagine that it starts in childhood like for most of us would that be the case for you too Absolutely. My story started as a child. Um, I like to often say um, that I was born in uncharted waters and I still have yet to find dry land. Mm, that's a journey for sure. You're in the right place. Yes, sir. So can you tell us uh, a bit about your story and what happened and kind of where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So as a child, um, I normally start off um, by telling uh, my audience that um, the day that I was born, I had actually slipped through the doctor's hands and landed on my head on the stainless steel table. Oh my um, God. That's a true story, but yeah, but that's kind of, um, you know, I, I always like to tell my audience that that's, that's um, you know, for those people who know, know me, that kind of explains a lot. So, Jeez. But, um, yeah, yeah, basically as a child, um, I did have parents that were very immature, um, really probably had no business being married at such a young age, and um, uh, they had a lot of learning to do, and I suffered a lot of pain because of it. Um, I was a child of abuse in every imaginable way, whether it be spiritual abuse, um, sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, and mental abuse. Mostly from my parents, um, I survived um, physical and mental abuse. It wasn't until later on in my life that I would have to find ways of living through sexual abuse as well. Um, obviously, I had survived many hardships in life as a child. Um, I, was, um, I, was, I grew up a very angry young man, and I had a, a violent father who was an alcoholic. And uh, I certainly was no stranger to pain, all different kinds of pain. Um, but the worst abuse that I have ever encountered that really kind of set me down into a funk or kind of stripped my, my spirit away, if you will, um, just as an example, um, as a child, um, one of the things that has never left my mind and I still wake up from dreams um, to this day was when I was, um, I had a terrible bedwetting problem as a child. Uh, that went on until I was probably somewhere around 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old. And it, and it turned out from, um, from a psychological standpoint that um, it was just more that I went into deep dreams, deep sleeps, and didn't want to come out of it. And uh, um, so it would frustrate my mother so much that one day she actually went to the store and bought a, 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 some diapers that would actually fit me. And then um, right about that time where she had me in the diapers, did my friends come knocking at the door, and I was, I was pushed out into the front yard. Um, where I landed on my face, and um, 
I lost my spirit on that day. Oh. I didn't get my spirit back until the year 2000. And, um, and then, of course, the abuse, uh, the abuse continued to grow. And um, as I reached about uh, the age of 13 years old, I had a tumor on my jaw that had to be removed. And uh, during that time, um, I had also met a man who was a friend of the family. And um, he became kind of a father figure to me and was a wonderful father up until that time um, where I um, was put under a helpless dose of painkillers. Um, he kind of doubled my dose, and that would be the first time that I was taken advantage of. Now, help me understand. So you were over like at his house or something and he gave you medication that was his or was that your medication? Yeah, it was my medication. And because the story is so convoluted, it's, it's easy for me to jump around. But during this time in my life when I was looking for a, a father figure, um, I was very attracted to this man that showed that he had all of the right ingredients to be my father. And so um, I would convince my mom that he would be the place that I wanted to live since um, my father lived in Connecticut. They were divorced, um, and my mother had really no business at that time in her life. She was not mature enough to raise a 13-year-old, in my opinion. And uh, so I found this man, became very good friends with him, talked my mom into letting me live with him. Uh, for about a year and a half, he was a perfect father. Um, taught me many things, survival, um, camping, all of the things that boys wanted to do. I became an excellent marksman with guns. Um, he had a variety of guns, an arsenal of guns around us, and, um, and I had become um, very good with a gun and um, to a point where he would put me into competitions with some of his federal uh, friends who were um, in the federal government. And um, so that, that's kind of the in-between of all of this. But, um, yeah, when I had my surgery, I, I had painkillers, and he had, um, he had fed me a double dose of those painkillers until I was mostly in and out of consciousness. Wow. And that was the first time he took advantage of you? That was the first time of several years' worth of, um, worth of that pain, yes, absolutely. Uh, I am so sorry to hear that. That's, that's horrible. Here is this man whom you believe to be a father, and he moved out of that role into an abuser. I just can't, you know, I imagine that you were in a considerable amount of pain. Um, every kind of pain that you could imagine, if it wasn't for my God showing his face to me and being available to me during those times, even though I was not, quote, a Christian, nor have I given myself to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ at that time, um, he was still with me and made that very clear to me. So I had places to go inside of my head, and, and God kind of became my little friend behind all of the scenes. Um, during almost every um, um, event, that went on, um, I was usually held at gunpoint, and there was usually Polaroid pictures involved, and obviously he had a ring going on. He had a little bit of a business going on. Um, so um, I, I, I learned how to shut down. Uh, it, it's partly a natural human uh, phenomenon, if you want to call it, um, but also thank goodness that I had a loving God that made himself present to me during those times, even though I had not given myself to his son Jesus. Um, he, he had, he had a future plan for me. I just didn't know it. 
Right. You and everyone is worthy of protection. And I strongly believe that uh, a power greater than ourselves uh, works in mysterious ways sometimes, but we all are protected. That's my belief. That's my personal opinion um, based on my own experience. And it sounds like you and I can relate to that for sure. Yes, sir. So... How long did the abuse go on? Well, the abuse went on until I was about, um, it, it, it kind of started to fade away at around 16 when I started getting kind of smart. Um, I started thinking outside of the box as to how I could end this abuse. And um, if, if I don't know, I don't know how old you are, DJ, but um, back in the early to mid, maybe late, uh, no, more mid-80s, um, the, uh, the DNA started becoming a prevalent uh, thing. It was kind of a wave of the future as to how um, our police forces and detectives and whoever else are involved in all that were going to use to solve crimes with. And uh, they started showing DNA quite a bit on the news, like they were able to take a strand of a person's hair or a sample of body fluids, that kind of thing, and, um, and actually hold it against the, um, the perpetrator. And so... At a young age, I realized that and um, actually developed a story um, that I would eventually tell this man. His name was Damon in my book. He, he's, he's, uh, he was a beast in my eyes, and um, I, I basically just fibbed the story. I told him that I had uh, DNA stuff that I had uh, put away in a safe deposit box. My friends know about it, and if I come up missing or um, anything happens to me or my family members, that um, he would immediately be turned in. And... I told him that I was going to pack my stuff up and leave, and I would not tell him where I was going And uh, because I didn't want my mom to know. I also told him that um, as far as my mom's concerned, I never left. I told him that I was going to leave after holding against uh, him that I had some, some DNA um, material, and um, I basically fabricated a story that scared him to death. And um, I told him that if I came up missing or any of my family members came up missing, that my friends would um, would take the uh, DNA out of the safe deposit box and take it straight to the police department. And so what I ended up doing was going and getting my own apartment because I didn't want my mom to know um, what was going on either. Um, I really wanted nothing to do with her at that time. And um, it really boils down to I lived uh, the next year of my life in high school and found a way to, to uh, get through high school on my my own and um that was kind of my escape path you are resilient and smart yes dna became more and more prevalent in the criminal justice system in the 80s it, the the issue was is that it would take six months to get results back but you know he didn't need to know exactly. that good for you exactly and then somehow yeah, that you was kind of my way out right and somehow you secured your own apartment and continued to go to school. I did. I did. I learned how to be quite the liar as a young man. Um, ah. If you can only imagine being in a position of always being in trouble, always being, uh, always fearing for yourself, either being beat or sexually molested, you become a really good fabricator. And, yeah. um, and that was a real problem in my life at a young age. Yeah, but it was in the it, it was for self protection, and sometimes we learn. Absolutely. Sometimes we learn these skills to protect ourselves in childhood, 
um, that don't carry over well to our adult lives. Um, and then we have to learn that's new. exactly right. We have to learn new skills. And I, that's what I do in my work with uh, survivors and uh, those who are suffering from addiction is to help them understand that the early childhood traumas um, created this need to um, adapt in these really maladaptive ways that are that can be destructive to one's life as an adult but as children that's what we needed to survive so i commend you for being so creative and protecting yourself that's a it's amazing well i'd like to say thank you but um certainly there was something in my life at that time that had intervened and was quite a bit more smarter than i was and probably had a considerable amount of wisdom that I didn't have. Right. I hear you there too. Yeah. So did, did anyone find out while you were still a teenager about the abuse? No, I had to hide it. Um, I was worried that I would either come up missing. I was threatened, um, many times. And, um, so was my family members. Um, and the last thing I wanted, um, to do was to put them into harm's way. Um, I'll jump just a little bit further ahead of your question to try to try to tie this together for you. But later on um, in life, uh, as I became a young man, I'm guessing probably in my early 20s, it's so hard for me to remember. Everything seems so dark. But um, I was um, I was notified by my mom that uh, Damon had come up missing. And he, it turns out that he was in the Superstition Mountains where in Arizona at the time where he used to actually take me um, to go on week-long survival trips where we would learn to eat rabbit and anything we can find in the desert, including cactus fruit. And, I mean, it was wonderful experiences for me. Um, but it, it, the dark side of this is that another young man now was involved and became a victim and um, was in the midst of being molested himself. Um, in the camping um, area that they were in. But this boy did not have the restraint that I had and actually took the very gun that was being held to my head for all those years and unloaded um, six six rounds into Damon um, and killed him. And um, where I kind of became found out was that I knew that this boy had to have had a story and I wasn't going to let him suffer um, the consequences um, of Damon's actions the way that I did. And so I kind of came to his rescue, if you will, and um, went to speak with the detectives to tell him that I'm positive this boy has a story. If you will just let me talk with him, that I'm certain I can pull this out of him. As of, as of then, he was actually being charged as an adult and was going to um, um, potentially get 50 years in prison because of the brutal crime. Uh, he didn't just fire one shot or two shots. He emptied the entire gun. And believe you me, I, I can understand why. Um, I, many times I wanted to do that but managed to restrain myself. Um, so basically what ends up happening is that this boy, um, uh, after um, talking with the detectives, this boy ended up uh, getting the kind of help that he deserved and then was uh, put into juvenile hall until he was 18 years of age. At that time, he was given several years of parole, um, and then he became a pastor um, and also got his um, um, uh, license to be an attorney as well. So it turns out that he, he is a very successful young man 
and has a chance of li at, at life because of people like you and I, DJ, that care enough about wanting to um, talk about each other's stories. You know, so many people's lives are changed by hearing a survivor's story. And it was brave of you to to go there and tell and to help him tell his story and get him the help that he needed. And I know God was guiding you for sure. No question. <laughs> There's absolutely no question about it. Can you talk to me about kind of what your recovery has looked like from this awful, awful trauma? Yeah, um, there, there is a lot more recovery um, than meets the eye with this. Um, my recovery looks, um, there is no way I could have ever recovered had I not stepped up to the plate and got into the mind of a child molester. Um, while I was attending church um, in, in, a, in Anderson, Indiana, at a Church of God, um, I met a young man, um, and I can tell you his first name is Rob. And Rob was a burn victim. He was burned from head to toe. Um, he, he really looks like a monster, and, and, and he would agree with me if he were sitting here right in front of me. It, it's, um, he really had a hard time connecting with people because they could never look him squarely in the eyes. He was an empty man who had been through so much trauma in his life. And I didn't know his story, but I knew that I had to get into his mind and find out what his story was. At that time, he had never committed a crime. And then um, I would go home and often talk about him to my wife, telling her that I'm going to get into this man's head. And, um, and I saw so much emptiness in his eyes. You know, as a man goes through so much in life, DJ, he learns how to look somebody in the eyes, and he can tell whether or not there's something missing. And I was able to do that with, uh, with Rob. So, so it, rather than going around a barn, the long and the short is um, I, um, I got a phone call, or not a phone call, but I had noticed something in the paper that um, Rob was uh, arrested and put in a jail. So I had immediately went down to the jail and, um, and uh, arranged a visit to, to meet with him. I met with him, and um, he tried. He was, he was crying, but he wasn't. His, his tear ducts were burned, so you can't shed tears. So, so a guy like him who is truly remorseful was not able to show it. Um, so we started having some talks, and um, they had not yet put in the paper what his crime was, and he had told me what his crime was, and he had abused a young child, um, sexually abused a young, uh, a young child, um, not, not much older than a toddler, if you will. Um, and um, I knew I had to get into his mind and find out what had caused that. Well, I did. I spent a lot of time with him. Um, I, would, I would be done with interviewing him, and I'd go out into the parking lot in the front and just literally start throwing up. Um, it's, it was just a part of my healing process. And um, the more I got to know him, the more I realized that he had a story. And his story, um, you know, everything that he became was a direct reflection of his story. And this poor young man, um, as a young boy, was... Um, was um, also sexually abused by not only his parents, but by also other paid visitors. Uh, his parents would set up a session for paid visitors, and him and his sister were, um, um, were asked to do acts together. Uh, I, I don't know how far I'm allowed to push the envelope here, but I'll stop there. 
Um, it was very sick and very sad. And at the point where they became the age of reasoning and they could talk, the parents knew it and would light the trailer on fire to try to take the kids out and kill them. And um, Rob had escaped but knew his sister was still in the trailer burning. So by then the police department and the fire department were there and tried to stop him from going back into the trailer. But he had broken free, went back into the trailer and uh, tried to free his sister. But at that time it was too late. And that would be the time that Rob would become burned from head to toe. Um, so I learned his story and had some sympathy for him. And I actually went to court on behalf of him, not to condone what he did. But I took the stand to try to help others to understand that people's stories have so much of an effect on their paradigm and who they become today, all of the baggage that they carry with them, um, and, and how important it is to create an atmosphere for this young man when he's in prison that he can release his story. And so I have been mentoring Rob now from the time that I met him to, I think it's been 18 years, and I mentor him to this very moment in time. And that really has been one of those things that has been very healing for me. So not only to mentor him and to get inside of his head and to learn what, what is created in that mind and how these things happen, but it also has helped me now to become a better listener, um, a guy who understands more, uh, it's helped me to not only understand myself better, but to also help others through that trauma. It's a blessing that the two of you found each other. Absolutely. Mm. He, yeah. I, and that you still have the ability to, to show up for him all these years later is amazing. You know, um, sometimes we, we find people on our path that we connect with and sometimes we that connection doesn't last very long but 18 years is an amazing journey the two of you have been on well it went from me throwing up in the parking lot after every meeting with him to uh, me actually being able to say this is my brother this is my friend and i love him and i support him i do not condone but i understand and i support and i forgive and i'm there for him right right wow um, I'm curious if your work also might involved any type of therapy. You know, it's funny you would ask that. Um, I don't know if I'm embarrassed to tell you this or not. I have never been through any therapy, um, not related to my story. I've never, never been to a psychologist, never been. Um, it, it's when you find a faith. Um, and I understand your faith, and I, and I hear you loud and clear. Faith is faith, and you can have faith in a lot of things. True. But when you find faith that gives you great hope, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Okay. When you find faith that gives you great hope, um, there is nothing that you can exchange for that. Um, it, 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 it is that place that you could go to um, and know that life doesn't end and that ending your life is not an option. When you have that place to go, it's, you can't trade it. Mm. Powerful words, for sure. And, you know, uh, therapy isn't for everyone. And I believe that when you do have that faith, that um, that faith and that connection to a power greater than yourself can get you through just about anything. I agree. Um Therapy probably would have been good for me, but I had this belief that my life was so complicated that there is no way that even a psychologist who have been through all of the training and the schooling 
um, would understand um, the way that I think inside of my own head. Um, and that I just, I had, I got so tired of trusting people who would hurt me that I decided not to trust anyone and to plow through this on my own. And so that's what I've done. And, and the, and there's several ingredients, um, that has allowed me to do this. And, um, in my book, you know, I've written two books now. Uh, um, I don't know if it's okay for me to put a plug in, but oh, obviously absolutely. the hardest story finally told you. Okay. Thanks. The Hardest Story Finally Told, Jesus' Glory Divinely Bold, was mainly a book about my life um, and how it came from ugly darkness to beautiful light. And then I had written a second book after the fact, which is called The Hardest Story Finally Told, HSFT, which stands for Hardest Story Finally Told, The Life Guide. And in The Life Guide, rather than showing a bunch of stats and, talk, and, 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 and showing a bunch of... Um, um, inserts from other books and, and, and other people, um, I just simply wrote the book exactly how it was for me and how I got through it and the steps that I went through. And the steps are very simple. It's really just a guide to living holy and freely. Um, for me in my faith, number one, I had to get Jesus. Um, number two, um, I needed to understand the ways of getting connected. And connectivity is not just necessarily going to the church. It's so much more. And I like to use all the adverbs uh, that I learned in school in English, and I've never forgotten them. It's am, be, been, is, are, was, were. Seem, look, appear, feel, taste, smell, become. So it's really just a matter of, and notice the last word is to become. Um, it's really just a matter of being able to understand how to heighten all of your senses to a point to where you feel your God around you, um, you feel the love of people around you, and you're certainly able to feel when evil is around you as well. So learning how to do that is in my second portion of the life guide, and then um, avoiding temptation, and then praying well and hearing God, following Jesus well, loving well, serving well, telling well, and I can't tell you how important telling well is. Um, most men have so much pride and such a big ego that they think that by telling their story is a sign of weakness. And what they don't understand is it couldn't be anything other than the exact opposite. By telling your story, people are in awe and actually look at you as a very, very strong individual, not a weak individual. And it's very, very healing. And it puts you to a level of maturity that you simply can't describe. If, if you hold back your, your story and you don't talk about it, then you become an insecure man who other people notice. You're just a person that keeps running into that same wall over and over and over, and you get up trying to convince everybody that you're okay, and everybody sees clearly that you're not. And then finally, taking a nap, N-A-P, notice, appreciate, and praise. So it's the Sabbath, and it's part of my belief, um, but you got to take time and appreciate what power or entity got you to where you're at today and then finally, the legacy. What do you want your life to look like? Where does it stop? Do your kids have to suffer the same pain that you're suffering? When are you going to start to act responsible and to take control of your life and to start setting an example for your kids, your grandkids, and their grandkids? Yes, you are You are telling it. Everything that you have said, I can definitely support. So listeners, go out and get Dan's book. Um, this sounds like an amazing journey, an amazing resource for people who are in the healing process. And, and many folks don't start their healing until they hear someone else's story. 
And so your story is, is heartfelt and heartwarming and it's just inspiring. And I'm wondering what's, what, what's next for you? Are you going to go on tour? Are you doing any speaking engagements? Well, thank you for asking. Um, so what's next for me? First of all, if I could just take a minute and bring this full circle. Yeah. In my book, The Hardest Story Finally Told, you will see how all of the characters ended up. And if, <laughs> I hate to say this, but they, if they didn't end up dead, they, they ended up saved. Um, when you do the right things in your life and you get better and you start to develop your legacy and other people start taking note, um, all of a sudden this perfect plan comes together. Um, my mom became a Christian. I was able to go out and visit her and be a part of her baptism. Um, and that's just the beginning of it. Everybody in the story has found themselves, and, and, we've, and we've connected and intertwined in such a way um, that, we, can, that, that we, we are in constant connection and growing together. So all of the characters, like I said, have either passed or, or they have greatly succeeded in finding peace in their life. The next thing that's happened for me is that I found a career path that I did not go to college for. Um, I work right now today um, and have um, over the years um, with nuclear engineers around the United States and have actually done um, um, many speaking engagements and nuclear symposiums around the United States. And um, I'm able to speak at, at a level that most, most kids would have had to go to college for. I cannot tell you where I found this ability. Um, I believe the Lord found this ability in me and found people in my life to take me in in a career path um, that saw something in me that yet even I didn't see. So I went from um, being a specialist in the nuclear and in the, um, in the power and utility market um, to finally owning my own company and becoming CEO of a very successful uh, repair facility, a pump repair facility in Trenton, Ohio. And um, it's all a gift, and I take none of it for granted. Um, it's amazing who you can become as an individual um, when you finally tell your story and set yourself free. Um, your head is clear. People are willing to help you. All you have to do is get on the next bus to nowhere and just know that where you're going, um, that you have faith that where you're going is where God intends you to be. And he has set my life up with a beautiful wife, three beautiful stepkids, um, I didn't think I was even capable of being a husband, much less a father. And uh, yesterday, I shared my 15th anniversary with my beautiful wife. Oh, that's a blessing. Congrats. Thank you. So where am I going from here? Yes, I have been talking um, to different churches around um, in Tennessee and in California and in Arizona. Um, I've already spoken in churches here locally in Ohio. Um, I've got some speaking engagements um, set up this summer. Um, I plan on getting around the best I can and still run a company and be a good husband and father. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. You know, there's so many institutions uh, that could benefit from hearing our stories. And, and one of the things that I want to do is reach out to, like, correctional facilities and let them uh, let them become aware of uh, this podcast and my other podcast because I think that the folks who are uh, unfortunately behind bars uh, can still do the, do some healing work. They just have to have the information. They have to hear the stories. And so that's something that I have been thinking about recently. It's like how can we reach those people who 
who are incarcerated, who are also survivors of sexual abuse and sexual assault, or those who are suffering from addiction, how can we still help those people? And that's part of my work. That's part of my legacy. And so I, I strongly support what you're doing. And I'm just grateful that you've taken the time to, to come on Journey On and, and share your story. And I hope that um, your message will reach everyone. And so I'll do yeah, my man, best to Katie, get it out there. BJ, I couldn't thank you enough. And that means it's the world to me. And, you know, um, I love what you stand for and what you're about. And I can't wait to meet you. And you know what? I've never been to Seattle. So this is going to be an excuse to get out there. But mark my words, I want to meet you. Absolutely. Well, come on. <laughs> It's great weather right now. If you come in the fall, it'll be it'll be uh, cloudy. <laughs> well, Dan, thank That's you so much. That's what I hear. Yeah, right. You know, we don't have the, the rain that people think we have. That's a myth. But we definitely have the clouds. So you're welcome to any time. Okay. Thank you for taking the time and uh, to, to speak to us today. And I look forward to our continued work together and, and, and spreading the message of hope and recovery from uh, childhood sexual abuse and assault. Um, there are so many more p uh, people out there who need to hear our stories. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's been an honor and a privilege. And thank you so much, DJ. You're welcome. And so just one last thing. Tell our audience where they can grab your books. Yeah, actually, you could grab my book at any major online bookstore. The book is actually available in every English-speaking country in the world. Um, you can reach it at places like, obviously, Westbolt Press, who is my publisher. Um, and that would be at uh, www.westboltpress.com. You can reach me on Amazon, uh, Books a Million, um, Barnes & Noble, you name it. And if you'd like to, come visit my website. Um, the website is using my pen name, so it's alter, A-L-T-E-R, at um, uh, heartiststory.com. Now, hardest is a play on words, so it's spelled H-E-A-R-T-E-S-T, story.com. You can reach me there in email, or you can go straight to my webpage at www.hardiststory.com. And uh, please sign in. I'd love to uh, uh, get some uh, discussion going on the webpage. I Excellent. also um, have a blog site there as well. Yay. Every, yeah, that's great. I will definitely direct some folks to there. I'll, I'll include that on the show notes. So um, our audience will be connected to you. So thank you so much, Dan. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you, DJ. Blessings. Same to you. Thank you for joining me for this awe-inspiring episode of Journey On. I invite you to get in touch with me if you want to share your story. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at DJBurr1022 and on Instagram at TheDJBurr. Survivors are also welcome to join our private Facebook group, Journey On Survivors, at www.facebook.com groups slash Journey On Survivors. And finally, the opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person sharing them. Take what you like and leave the rest. I encourage survivors to share their stories authentically, and I believe every guest on my show has. I value the strength and courage it takes to publicly share our recovery journeys. Please respect yourselves and each other. Till next time, breathe deep and journey on.
Get a rare view into the human side of wealth management leaders, innovators, and influencers with the Big Reveal podcast from Suzanne Syracuse in partnership with InvestNet. Tune in and subscribe to find out why she calls it the Big Reveal. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.